All right. Hey, we've got um, a lot of ground to cover today and not necessarily a lot of time to do it in, so we're going to jump right in. Um, we are in part two of the series we started last week called Supernatural. Uh, if you missed last week, you weren't able to catch it online, I would highly recommend go back, going back and checking things out because um, it's going to make a lot more sense based on what we talk about today. Uh, but basically, we're asking this question, is there more to our world than meets the eye? As people, we are really, really fascinated with the supernatural, with the unknown, the unseen, the unexplainable. Um, so much so that, like, some of y'all have a straight-up obsession with TV shows and movies and stuff. Like, with it was on the screen, it's like anything, like, ghosts and demons. And, like, I'm, I'm all about that. And that's, you're not very much like me, because if I watch that, I don't sleep. But some of you are, are very much into it. Um, as people, we're, we're fascinated with it. We, we love it. Uh, even, it, it, like, and so we kind of recognize there's more to our world that meets the eye. In fact, even people who wouldn't consider themselves to be Christians or people of faith, um, and maybe this is your story, maybe this is you here or you're watching, and you'd say, I, I, I'm not like a religious person, but I think there is more to our world than we can see. And so with this series, we're, we're kind of poking at that and saying, well, what is that? Like, what is that something more? Uh, and, and from a Christian perspective, from the Christian faith, from a, like the biblical story, is there more than we can see? So last week we kicked things off uh, with this big idea that there are other spiritual beings. Like there, there's more than just, you know, God, capital G-O-D, and, and, you know, Satan, like good guy, bad guy. But there are other spiritual beings, but none of them are like God. He is the most high. He is the, the God of all gods, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. All that kind of language is what the biblical authors use. Um, and he's revealed himself in the person of Jesus. So that's kind of what we covered last week. Today, um, we're going to kind of move towards more of the, okay, well, now what? Like, what does that mean for my life? What does that have to do with the everyday life that I'm living and the things that, like, I'm going through? Um, and kind of specifically, like, does, like, wh what about kind of evil, okay? Because have you ever noticed that, like, whenever we, uh, TV shows and movies and stuff that deal with the supernatural or spiritual kind of stuff, it's never happy, okay? They're always horror movies. It's always, it's always bad stuff. It's always like people die and I have nightmares. Like, so like, what is that? I, what I kind of want to poke at a little bit is asking the question, what's wrong with our world? Like if I were to ask you that, like, hey, you know, you look around and hopefully we could agree that there's something wrong. Like things aren't right. Like things are broken. Things are jacked up. There's death and destruction and evil and pain and suffering. Like where does that come from? What's responsible for that? Um, if you've maybe grown up in and around church, you, you may be quick to jump to, uh, well, it's the, it's the fall. It's Genesis 3. Like, people are fallen. People are broken. People sinned. And, and that's why the world is um, how it is. And that's partially true, actually. Like, that's a huge part of why we see how things are playing out and why there's evil, why there's pain and destruction. Because we as people... Um, we unleash it, right? Like we unleash evil on the world. Uh, but if you were to get into the minds of the biblical authors and ask that same question, they would say, yeah, it's human sin. It's human rebellion against God, but it's also supernatural and spiritual. That there is, just like there's a human rebellion, there's also a spiritual rebellion um, against God, like in the heavenly kind of realms. And when you put those two things together, it leads to destruction. Human rebellion plus uh, partnered with this spiritual rebellion and bad things happen. So what I want to do is look at a couple of passages this morning. We're going to look at the Genesis 3 passage as well as a couple other passages is in Genesis. So if you want to be in the early parts of Genesis, you can flip along if you'd like, or it's going to be up here on the screen as well um, and kind of work through that and figure out the implications for, um, for our life today. So here we go. First passage, we're going to jump right in. Genesis chapter 3. 
This is what we often refer to as the fall. Um, so Genesis 3, starting in verse 1. So God's created everything, and it's, it's, it's good, it's good, it's good. It's a very happy story for the first page. And then it's like, dum, 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 like things make a turn for the worse. So Genesis 3, starting in verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the uh, wild animals that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Okay, like, I want to talk about just a few things here. First of all, can we admit this is weird, all right? Page two of the Bible, and there's a talking snake. Like, this is, it's strange. In fact, the only, the only way you don't think this is weird is if you're already a Christian, and you're like, yeah, so what? It's, it's a talking snake. It's normal. Like, it's not normal. Like, nobody else thinks that's normal, but if, like, you're a faith person, you're like, well, yeah, duh, talking snake. No one else is thinking that, but it's weird. We need to let it be weird. Sometimes there's the temptation to kind of like scrub the weirdness out of the Bible, take like the supernatural stuff out of there and be like, can we make this more palatable, please? Like, don't do that. We need that stuff in there. Like, there's power in that stuff. And come on, like the Christian faith, if you're a follower of Jesus, our faith, like the core, like the thing that you can't take away, the thing that's all built on is Jesus came back from the dead, okay? Like, a guy was dead and he came back to life. And if that can happen, a snake can talk, okay? Like, like everything's on the table. Jesus came back from the dead. Um, and so we've got this talking snake. We have this kind of like this temptation of Eve, like, hey, you know, you, did God really say you can't have that, that fruit from that tree? Um, but what I want us to kind of to draw our attention to is there's more than meets the eye with this interaction. Um, that This is a picture of that kind of supernatural rebellion and human rebellion coming together as one. We're given some clues uh, that this is more than just a snake. That this is more than, I know some of you don't like snakes. I don't like snakes, okay? Like some of you are like Indiana Jones level don't like snakes. I'm kind of on that level too. It's like, nope, no snakes, no snakes. Why'd it have to be snakes? Um, but it's more than just a snake. We're given some clues in the story here. We're given some more clues throughout scripture. Uh, the first big clue is that it's talking, okay? That should be red flags right away, all right? You should go, hmm. Last time I checked, there's never been a snake that's talked to me, unless there has. And then I don't think that's probably the snake. I think that's probably you. But there's never been a moment where I've encountered a talking snake, where it's been like, you know, I'm out running the weed eater. I'm like, oh, there's a snake. Die! Because that is the only proper response when you see a snake and you have a weed eater, okay? That is the only response. But never when that's happened has the snake been like, oh, no, please don't kill me, okay? Snakes don't talk. Like, it doesn't happen. And so we got a talking snake. That's the first clue that this is more than just, that there's more than just a reptile here. Uh, the other clue is kind of where this is located. The idea of, of like biblical cosmology, how the ancient people, including the ancient Israelites, understood the cosmos. There was kind of two realms. There was what was called, that's why it says the heavens and the earth. And the earth is like, it's what's down here. It's, the stu- it's, where, it's where humanity exists. It's the, it's the ground. It's the creation. It's the stuff that, it's the realm of people. But then you had the heavens. That was like God's space. That was the spiritual realm because, I mean, think about it. Living thousands of years ago, you look up and you're like, oh, my gosh, there are these, these giant lights. And that's like, like, that's the spiritual realm up there. And so you have the heavens, God's space. You have the earth, our space. And Eden was, was this picture of God's space and human space where they overlapped, where they came together. And so if you're tracking along with that, you're like, okay, well, that would actually, it would make sense. And it would be normal for there to be some sort of a spiritual creature there, because that's in the heavenly space. It wouldn't have been out of the ordinary for the people in the, in the story. 
Uh, the next kind of clue is, um, we, that we can cue in on a little bit is the fact that it is a serpent. It's a snake. Um, and we read other pa- passages where some of the spiritual beings are uh, depicted as serpents. The seraphim that are like these kind of, they're in the throne room of God. Isaiah, the one prophet, has uh, this vision where he's in God's throne room and he sees these spiritual beings and they're the seraphim and they're these snake-like uh, creatures. And then finally, kind of the dead giveaways, if you continue on through the biblical story, later authors actually say, yeah, this is, this is, um, this is Satan, by the way. <laughs> okay, well, that kind of gave it away. Um, but it's not just Satan, it's the Satan. Uh, Satan's not really like a proper name, but it's, it's more of a title, a job description. In Hebrew, it's ha-satan. It means the adversary, the opponent, because he's, he stands opposed to, he's against every good thing that God is for. And so we get this picture that right from the get-go of what we would call the fall, there, there's, there's humans, but there's also a rebellious, supernatural, spiritual force who's kind of moving them in a direction. Hey, hey, you sure God said you can't have that? It looks nice. You know, you want it. Did God really say, did he, did he? And so the account continues on. The woman said to the serpent, well, we may eat from the the fruit, uh, from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat from the fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And so there, there's kind of, he's like planting these seeds of, you know what, God's holding out on you. Like, like God doesn't actually want what's best for you. Like, you, there's this thing you could have, and it's good, and he's saying, no, you can't have it. And so it's kind of like, like planting that little seed. And even the, the way, I mean, think about how he says this, you will be like God. If you were here last week, we talked a lot about the word Elohim. That's the word that's translated as God. And so Elohim is much broader than just like God proper, like we think of capital G-O-D God. It's also like anything that fits in the category of spiritual beings. And so he's like, oh, you know, you will be like Elohim. And, you know, you, sh- you should trust me when I say that because after all, I am one, right? Like this serpent is also a spiritual being. He's like, oh, look at you sad little dirt creatures, you little mortal humans. I'm an Elohim. And if you eat from this tree, you'll, you'll be like God. And I know I've got this knowledge, so do it do it. You know how the story goes. It doesn't go well. The woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye. It was also desirable for gaining wisdom. So she took some and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And the story unfolds and it's pretty much bad news from there. The, 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 the humans rebel against God, but there's, a two, there's two parts to this rebellion. Yes, there's humanity choosing I don't want to do what God says. I want to define good and evil on my own terms. But there's also a nudging from this spiritual rebel as well. You know, like it wasn't the idea of humans. They weren't just walking by the tree and been like, oh, hey, man, that tree looks good. I should pick a piece of that fruit. Like there was, there was another an out, a force outside of themselves that comes in and says, hey, you see that tree over there? Looks good, doesn't it? Now, why wouldn't God want you to have that? The, the, the sin and death and destruction and what we see unleashed in the world and in the, in the mindset of the biblical authors, we're going to look at a couple more examples. It's two-part. It's human rebellion, but it is also supernatural and spiritual. Now, now we make the mistake of a lot of times wanting to move one direction or the other and say, like, everything, like, sin is all about, it's personal responsibility, personal responsibility. You've got you to be responsible for your own decisions, and we either move all the way into that direction or we do the other direction and go, it's all just kind of, well, the devil made me do it, right? Like, it's not my fault at all. It was out of my control. It was the devil. It was a demon, you know, like that kind of thing. And it's like, well, both of those are wrong. 
Like, yeah, there is personal responsibility. We got to take ownership for that. But then at the same time, man, there's, there's something else going on behind the scenes. That there's a picture going on that humanity, humanity, like people, as people, we have the, the option, we have the, the choice to, am I going to partner with Yahweh, the most high God? Am I going to partner with him, with the ultimate, the highest spiritual being, like the God of gods? And when I do that, that's what humanity is made for. When that happens, when humans partner with Yahweh, they unleash life and flourishing and beauty on the earth. But when we choose to partner with one of these rebellious spiritual beings, we unleash death and destruction and evil on the earth. It's this both and picture. And the stage is set and the story continues. Uh, people are cast out of the garden. The serpent is cast down. And, and it's this, this picture of him being cast down from his high and lofty position. He was this spiritual being. Well, now he's cast down to the dirt. He's cast down to the earth. It's that, the imagery of having to crawl on his belly and eat the dirt. He's, he's been cast down. As the story unfolds, we, we get to the, kind of the next picture of how the, the biblical authors understood this, this issue of evil and destruction. And it's a really weird story. Um, if you're someone who kind of reads the Bible or you've ever tried to and you're reading through Genesis and you get to Genesis chapter 6 and there's these four verses and you're like, well, what do I do with that? Because that's just like, I guess that's just like trivia information or what is this? Um, so here we go, Genesis uh, chapter 6. First four verses, verses what we're going to look at. When man began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, and the sons of God, a phrase we talked about last week that refers to, again, these spiritual beings, some of the divine council members, uh, these other Elohim, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, Okay. I can't help it in my head when I, when I think of the sons of God seeing the daughters of man attractive. I just think of like Joey from Friends and be like, how you doing? Okay, like that's, that's what I think, okay? Like they saw that they were attractive and they took as their wives any they chose. Oh, you look good, you will be mine. And the Lord said, my uh, spirit shall not abide in man forever for he is flesh and his days shall be 120 years. This is like reference from this point to when the flood occurs. It's about 120 years because this is actually the, the prologue to the flood narrative. Um, which it sometimes seems kind of weird because you're like, angels sleeping with people, flood. And like, how does that go together? We're going to get to that. Uh, verse 4, why does that go backwards? I don't understand. I promise whenever, dude, spiritual evil. Okay, no, I'm just kidding. It's not. Um, it keeps going backwards. It doesn't do it when I test it. I promise. Okay, so verse 4, we're on to it. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward. When the sons of God, there they are again, they came into the daughters of man and they bore children to them. And these were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. And so we see this picture of these spiritual beings, these sons of God who are over, they're, they're overstepping, they're crossing boundaries that shouldn't be crossed. They're, it's this, this, this kind of unholy combination of the sons of God and the daughters of man and they have children, and it says these children are the Nephilim or the mighty men, the men of renown, or sometimes they're called giants. And the offspring of, of these sons of these rebellious sons of God and daughters of, of man, they become these mighty warriors, these giants, and they become, as, you, as the biblical story unfolds, they become a thorn in the side of God's people. Like they're constantly just doing evil in the land, and uh, they're, they're unleashing violence and wickedness. And it's interesting the story that Scripture tells compared to other cultures at that time, because other cultures had kind of like a, a mythology around this as well, where there would be there, there were stories about how the gods procreated with the humans, and it was celebrated in other cultures. 
Other cultures would use it kind of as an explanation of, here's how our culture rose to power. Here's how Babylon became so great because our kings were descended from the gods. Uh, if you've ever heard of like Gilgamesh, um, that, he was supposed to be one of these, you know, half God, half man kind of uh, beings. And that was like the Gilgamesh and Atherhasis epic and all of that. And uh, they, they're portrayed in these other cultures as it's a good thing, it's a good thing, it's a good thing. And Israel comes along and says, no, 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 it's, it's not a good thing. It's, it's part of what's wrong with the world. There's a, a guy actually in the Bible around this time who is one from this line. His name is Nimrod. It's an awesome name. His name is Nimrod, and he establishes the cities of Babylon and Nineveh. And they end up becoming the capital cities of the Babylonian Empire and the Assyrian Empire, who are like the, the enemies of God's people. They're these, these archetypes of evil in the Old Testament. Empires that are built on violence and bloodshed and wickedness and oppression and sexual exploitation and sacrificing children. Like, and it, it, it comes to just encapsulate everything that's wrong in the world. And so God's people, Israel's story comes along and says, no, 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 like, our neighbors are celebrating this as if it's good, but this is, what's, this is part of what's wrong with the world. It's this coming together of, of spiritual rebellion and human sin. And there, there was actually thought uh, specifically in the um, like fir- like first century and leading up to the first century, the time of Jesus, Jewish thought uh, about this uh, particular account and how it corrupted humanity. Um, it comes from the, uh, the book of Enoch. Now, let me just say, that if you ever heard of the book of Enoch, first Enoch specifically, it is not scripture. Um, neither like Christian nor like uh, Jewish uh, people consider that to be authoritative scripture, but it reads like, uh, it's almost like commentary, how I could pick up a commentary on a book of the Bible and it could help me to get some insight, but I don't consider it to be, like I don't have to live my life by it. Uh, that's kind of how Enoch was viewed in the first century in the years leading up to that. We know that like people read it, people respected it, that Peter and Jude actually quote from it in two of their letters to the churches in the, in the New Testament. Um, so it can give some insight. There's a whole section that he has that's uh, like commentary on these four verses, Genesis 6, 1 through 4 of what happens. And he refers to them as the watchers, like the sons of God, he calls them the watchers. And in, in his... Uh, his account, his telling of this here, his understanding of this, he says that not only did they come down and they procreate with human beings, but they also, um, they, they gave humanity this corrupt kind of wisdom, that they taught them how to destroy each other even better. They gave them uh, better methods of warfare and weapons to kill each other with. They taught them idolatry. They taught them, the phrase is like the cutting of trees and roots. I think the, the word is pharmakeia, which was where we get our word pharmacy, but it's translated and understood as like drug use and sorcery, how to, uh, to warp their state of mind. And so he comes along and basically says, you know, humanity, like we're really good at destroying ourselves, right? I mean, my own life tells me I'm pretty darn good at destroying myself and being my own worst enemy. And the picture is these sons of God come down and it's like they take the human sin and throw gasoline on the fire. It's just like, oh yeah, like let's crank this whole thing up. You, you, let's, let's take it to another level. And so actually, then you go into the flood narrative and it's like, oh, well, that makes sense. Because verse five, right after the story with the, the angels sleeping with women and producing these, you know, this offspring, the very next thing is, and every, like, every inclination of the human heart was just evil all the time. And there was wickedness on the face of the earth. And it's like, oh, okay, I see what's going on here. Again, humans, human rebellion, spiritual evil coming together to destroy God's good world. The next example um, is Genesis chapter 11. Uh, Genesis 11, this is the Tower of Babel. Again, another one of those kind of weird stories. You're like, what? 
what is this doing in here? Because the Tower of Babel's like, everybody had one language, and God split them up and gave them different languages. And you're like, okay, that's cool, I guess, but what do I do with that? Do I like, thank you, Jesus, for other languages? Like, what am I supposed to do with this story or this information? And so the Tower of Babel story, Genesis 11, starts this way, that the whole world had one language and a common speech. Um, and if you're kind of tracking along, if you had just read Genesis 10, you're like, well, it doesn't really have one language and, and one common speech. Because Genesis 10 is, is what's known as the Table of Nations. It's kind of like this long genealogy and a list of all these different people groups, peoples that are descended from Noah, and they, they, they're descended from his family, and they end up making up like all of the people groups of the nations, or the Table of Nations. But then Genesis 11 is like, just kidding, everybody was one big group. And you're like, wait a second. Genesis 11 is telling us how we got Genesis 10, how the people got split up, how the people got divided. And so this uh, account goes this way. The whole world had one language and one common speech, and here's what people do. They, they, they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered all over the face of the whole earth. It's like, okay. God gets mad about this. It's like, God doesn't like towers? I'm not sure. What's the takeaway here? Skyscrapers are bad. Um, that's not the takeaway. Most scholars kind of think that this, this tower that is being built is what's called a ziggurat. It's like this religious complex that was used to call the God or the gods down to yourself. And so it's this idea of we will build this tower, we will build this temple, and we will make God come to us, and we will make God do our bidding. And, and so they, they build a tower, and they want to make a name for themselves so that they are not scattered over the face of the earth. This is basically the exact opposite of what humanity was supposed to do. In the garden, humanity is created, and they're created to be God's image bearers, his partners, his representatives, to, to take uh, the goodness of Eden and spread that to the entire world. Like, that was the calling of humanity. So it was be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, rule it, subdue it, that whole thing. They fail at that. The flood happens, and God starts again with Noah and his family, and he gives them the same assignment. Hey, fill the earth, subdue it, rule over this. It's good. Like, this is what I want you to do. And so then the very next thing you read is, is this account, where people are like, nah, we'd rather not. Like, I know we're supposed to scatter. I know we're supposed to fill the earth. I know we're supposed to take the goodness of God everywhere. We're supposed to make his name great, but we would rather all congregate right here and make our name great. And so it's another example of humanity saying, you know what, God, screw you. We don't want to do what you want us to do. We don't want to be what you've called us to be. We want to do our own thing. It's human rebellion. And when we're asking, okay, well, where, where does the, the spiritual end of things come into this? Where does the supernatural, like, how do, how do these other supernatural beings factor into this? And for that, we got to go to Deuteronomy. Uh, Deuteronomy is kind of a retelling of Israel's story up to that point. They've been wandering around in the wilderness. And, and so uh, before they enter into the promised land, God, or God is speaking through Moses, and he's like, hey, I'm, tell, I'm like, telling you, here's where we've been so far. It's a retelling of the whole story in Deuteronomy 32. We read this, that when the Most High, talking about capital G-O-D, God, God as we think of him, when the Most High gave to their nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind. Now, instantly to that, to that audience who'd grown up knowing these stories, hearing this, they're like, oh, when did God divide mankind? Oh, that was at the Tower of Babel. That's when the nations were scattered. When he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. According to the number of the sons of God, these other spiritual beings, but the Lord's portion, God's portion, is his people, Jacob, or the nation of Israel. That's his allotted heritage. 
And so there's this picture that as, as humanity is like, no, God, screw you. We don't want to do what you want us to do. We want to do our own thing. We, we don't want to be what we've been created to be, what we've been called to be, your partners and bringing your goodness to the whole world. We're not going to do it. We're not going to do it. We're not going to do it. And God says, okay. And he gives them over to these other spiritual beings and says, if you don't want me as your God, you can have some other ones. You can have some other ones. And the nations begin to worship these other gods. You ever been reading, if you, if you read like the Bible, you ever like read through like early chapters and you're like, okay, wait a minute. So everyone like, God creates people, everyone's supposed to be worshiping God and then like we get later in the story and all of a sudden they're worshiping all these other gods. Where did they come from? They come from this scattering and this dividing. And God hands them over and he gives these other spiritual beings like authority, power, dominion to rule. And say, hey, they're yours. This is why the, the, the biblical authors pick up on that language and they talk about it in the Old Testament, but the Apostle Paul, when we get to the New Testament, really picks up on this idea. That when he talks about like the spiritual forces, he talks about powers, uh, he talks about rulers and authorities, principalities, powers, um, lords, uh, this idea that, hey, there's, there are spiritual beings that actually have authority to do things in the world. The nations have been given over to them. And one of the really cool things is when Jesus shows up, part of what he does is saying, yeah, that time is over. You see, I'm taking all peoples back for myself. And we're going to kind of get into that next week. But there's this, this picture of, here we go again. It's like, what, why, why are the nations chasing after these other gods as you read through the biblical story? Because they've been given over and they have power and they have authority. But the, the really key thing is that, but, but the Lord's portion is his people Israel. So God's like, all right, I'm not abandoning my plan. God wants to, to, to humanity to know him, to serve him, to partner with him. And so he says, okay, I'm going to choose one people, Israel, and I'm going to do something through them, and that's how the story plays out. I'm not going to really resolve the tension today. I'd be like, okay, so what exactly? Like, you know, there's, there's spiritual powers, and some of them, some of them, seem, pretty, some of them some seem pretty bad. What, what do we do with that? I want us to just sit with this idea that the picture that the biblical authors paint is that there's a world of other spiritual beings. There's a world of other spiritual powers, and some of them are loyal to the Most High God and to his purposes playing out in the world. And some of them, some of them aren't. Some of them are opposed to the purposes of God. And when we look around at the world and we ask, okay, what, what, is, what is going on? Like, why are things so broken? Why are things so messed up? Like, human sin is absolutely a part of that. We don't get to absolve ourselves of the destruction that we unleash on the world just because they're spiritual powers. But we also have to understand, like, yeah, it's, it's human sin and rebellion, but there is, there's things going on that we can't see. There are spiritual powers that are opposed to God, to his purposes, to his people. And they unleash hell on earth. It's what attribute is how we can where we get the, the fallen state of the world that we're in. It's more than just our personal or individual responsibility. We can't ignore one uh, at, at the expense in the expense of the other. We can't be like, oh, it's all about personal sin and then ignore the other, or it's all about the spiritual evil and ignore our own personal responsibility. It's seeing both of them together. We've got to understand that there is an intelligent supernatural evil in the world, and and, and it is he is the adversary. He's opposed to everything that is good. An intelligent, supernatural evil wants to destroy people, wants to destroy you. And sometimes that happens, like, on a personal level. I mean, maybe some of you have a story like this where it's just been like, man, like, I am under attack. I mean, some of you, I I've had conversations with, I know you've been there. It's like, I'm under, like, I just feel like I'm under spiritual attack. And sometimes that's legit. Like, sometimes supernatural evil wants to mess with you. Sometimes it's an excuse we use because sometimes we'll have a conversation like, man, my life, I'm just so under attack right now. And it's like, 
No, you just made some bad decisions. Like, you're not under attack. You're like, my marriage is under attack. Like, no, dude, you were a jerk. That's not being under attack. But, but sometimes it's legitimate. It's just like there's things that are happening outside of our control. But more often than not, supernatural evil isn't as concerned with you as an individual. Because why destroy one person when they can destroy millions? See, supernatural, intelligent evil wants to move entire cultures, entire societies, entire uh, nations to embrace what is, what is evil as good. And to embrace this idea of, of redefining what's like, it's, it's, it's the lie of the garden. Did God really say that? He wants us to embrace this idea because there are certain things that, that happen in the world. There are certain things that have happened throughout history that human, individual human sin on its own doesn't account for where it's like, yeah, humans had responsibility, but there was something else pushing people in a direction. I mean, I think like to, to biblical times, one of the things that uh, Israel's neighbors would worship this god, Molech, and one of the things they did is they would, sacrifice, they would burn their children alive to this god. Like that, that, that's not just that I'm a broken, sinful person. That's not just one day I woke up and said, hey, you know what's going to be a good idea? Let me go against every like uh, parental instinct that I have and sacrifice my child. And not just me, but the entire nation is going to say, yes, this seems like a good idea. Like, yeah, there, there's personal responsibility involved, but there's something else moving them in a direction to think that's a good thing. As we think throughout history, even in modern times, like, like personal evil, personal sin, like, oh, I'm, I'm personally a sinful person, like that doesn't account for things like Nazi Germany. Where, where in a t- like, how does an entire nation of people, with the exception of a small few, go, oh yeah, this is a good idea, let's embrace this, let's move towards this, let's not stand up against this. Like personal, pers- like just personal individual sin does not account for things like nations embracing slavery. Entire groups of people saying, yeah, this is okay, this is fine to do, that's not just my personal sin. There's something else behind the scenes that is pushing entire people in a direction. This is a, as a side note, too. I mean, we got to be really careful not to, because of that reality, to not look on the past and kind of get this arrogance of like, man, I'm, we are so much better than they were. Sometimes that's easy to do is to look at the past and be like, well, you know, if I had lived in Nazi Germany or if I had lived during the time of slavery, I would have stood up and said something. Maybe, but maybe not. Most likely, just statistically, would have been like it was then. A, a small handful of people would have. Most people would have just gone with the cultural current because, there's some, there's some, because it's not just me. There's something outside of me moving a society in that direction, and it's the subtle things. Like the way that evil intersects in our world and, and kind of pushes on us and pushes on us and pushes on us and gets us to give in and make some terrible decisions, it's not the horror movie kind of stuff where heads are spinning around backwards and someone's shouting something in Latin, okay? Like that's not, it's subtle, it's, it's the subtle thing. It's, it, again, it's the serpent in the garden. It's the subtle thing that comes along and says, did God really say? He's holding out on you. There, there's something better. If you want to truly find life, do it this way. And it's the little lies. You know, the, the enemy, the adversary, Satan, is, is often, he's the father of lies, deceit. It's a, hey, are you, are you sure that, the, maybe you should try it this way. It's the little lies that we believe. It's the small lie. Like, you, you don't get straight to just abusing people or murdering people or owning people as, as slaves. Like, that, that starts with a, you know what? Yeah, you're supposed to treat human the right way, but humans the right way, but are they really human? Is that, is that people group? Are they really people? Is that race? Are they really people? 
Is that religion? Are they really, I mean, do you, are they really human beings? We have our modern versions of this as well. You know, that person disagrees with you or votes differently than you. I mean, yeah, they look like people, but they're not really people, so you can treat them however you want. You know, those, those anti-vaxxers, they're not people. Those pro-vaccine people, they're not people. You don't have to treat them as human beings. Do what you want. We, we, we buy into cultural lies that move us just in a direction that cause all kinds of destruction. That, you, know, you know, hey, 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 hey. When it comes to your sexual ethic, the only thing that matters is consent. If you just got two consenting adults, that, that's fine. Nobody's getting hurt, right? It's okay. And that's kind of this cultural, like, this, this subtle little thing that we've been moving in since the sexual revolution for decades, and I just, I want to pause and ask the question and say, well, how is that working out? Are we more or less sexually broken? Is there more bondage? Is there more baggage? Is there more heartache? Is there more pain that people aren't going to recover from? Like, is it, is it moving us in a good direction? Man, like, the, like the, the, the amount of information out there that, that just shows how, like, warped we are in this area. Like the, the area of like pornography alone, it's like it's rewiring people's brains. Like you can see that brain chemistry is changing. It's like, it's okay, it's okay, it's not that big a deal. Nobody's getting hurt. Nobody knows what you're doing. Nobody, there's no other human beings there. It's fine, it's fine, it's fine. And, and meanwhile, there's studies that then back up, but actually it promotes rape culture and it promotes child trafficking and sex trafficking and exploitation. But like, no, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. As long as it's, it's just, it's consensual and everything's fine, everything's wonderful. Maybe the biggest lie that our culture, that we believe, that we embrace so easily is whatever makes you happy, it's all about you. If it makes you happy, it's right. If it doesn't, if it doesn't make you happy, it, it must be wrong. You should avoid it. It's about you. It's about your personal freedom. It's about what, how, how, you, how you feel. And, 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 and so treat Treat yourself, okay? Like, treat yourself. Like, do what feels right. Do what feels good. Pamper yourself. You know, do some Amazon therapy, baby, okay? Like, just buy some more, scroll some more, binge watch some more, consume, consume, consume. Like, that's going to fulfill me. That's going to fulfill you. That's what's going to make you happy. You got to take care of yourself. Uh, I don't want to pick on a particular group of people, but it's like, man, I'll be like scrolling through something, and like, there's like those memes or those posts. It's like, oh, mama, you take care of yourself. Like, you put on your jammies and you get your big old cup of wine because you deserve it. It's like, okay, there is a, there is a fine line between self-care and self-indulgence. And it's a dangerous place to be. Because while on one hand, it's that little lie we're told, if you just, it's just about you, it's about you. You got to make yourself feel good. You got to get what's going to make you happy. And it's like, but yet, like, addiction is at an all-time high. Anxiety is at an all-time high. Depression's at an all-time high. But it's like, but, but, but just, you need more of this. It's the subtle little things that, that we believe that end up destroying us. And it's the option that they had in the garden. Did God really say this? We have the option of, do I, do I embrace and partner with the, the most high God and what he wants for my life? And when we do that, we, we actually bring about life and beauty and flourishing in my life and in the life of the people around me. Or do I choose to partner with the adversary and these rebellious spiritual beings and I unleash death and destruction, and, and, and just evil on the world around me? Like, do, do I trust and go, okay, <laughs> all right, God, I'm going to, do I partner with you and say, okay, you say that all people are made in the image of God, and everyone is someone that Christ died for, and so I'm going to love them and unleash life, or do I say, no, you know what, they're not really human, they disagree with me, I'm going to hate them. 
Do, do I say, okay, God, I know, I, I know what you've said about this area of sex, and it is hard, and it just feels restrictive, and, and it, man, it's, it's not fun, and people make fun of me, but it leads to life, or do I embrace that everything's fine, anything goes, no one gets hurt, when really we look around and everybody's getting hurt? Like, do, do I embrace the, it's all about you, do what makes you happy, do what makes you feel good, like just you, 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 and, and meanwhile, it doesn't seem to be working, or do I embrace, you know what, you die to yourself, you pick up your cross, you follow a crucified Savior, and we like, that, that is hard, and it is uncomfortable, and it is painful, and I sacrifice for that. Ultimately, I find joy, and I find peace that is beyond the, the, the surface level, level temporal stuff that the world offers. Like, that, that's the battle in that we are in every single day, and it is, it is personal. Like, there is individual responsibility. I bear the weight of that in my life. You bear the weight of that in your life, but it is also supernatural. It is also spiritual. There's something else going on that we can't see. And as it relates to the, the brokenness and the pain that comes from the, our human rebellion and the spiritual rebellion, whatever the solution to that is, has to address both things. It has to address my personal responsibility for sin and evil. And it's got to address the supernatural stuff as well, whatever the solution is. And that is where we're going next week. Let me pray for you. Um, Heavenly Father, Lord, I just pray that we would know what to do with um, what we've heard. God, that you would take this, that you would take what I've spoken, that you would do what only you can do through the power of your Holy Spirit, um, that you would use your word to transform us. Um, Lord, I pray you give us eyes to see that, um, that we are, you know, we're living in a world that is broken and that has fallen, and there's a battle that is raging, and it is, it's sometimes more than we can see. There are forces that are outside of ourselves that are uh, weighing on us, that are um, bringing about evil in the world. But Lord, if we're your followers, if we're Christians, if we've given our lives to Christ, we know that there's also a, a, there's a supernatural force that is working for good, that is working to to see beauty and life and flourishing, Lord, that the power of your Holy Spirit is dwelling within us, that on our own, we are, we are incapable of doing what's right. I'm in, I, am, I am incapable of making good decisions if I'm doing it on my own. I am incapable of, of pushing back against evil and sin and darkness, but through your Spirit, you, you empower us to do that. So God, I pray that you would pour your Spirit out on us, that it would fill us so that we so that we can live lives that are uh, honoring and glorifying to you, but also so that we can live lives that bring your goodness and your beauty to those around us. And we ask this in Jesus' name.